bear were in the same condition, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night, and lo, the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid, and the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God, and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And that, Charlie Brown, is what Christmas is all about. <laughs> uh, Charles Schultz, the creator of the Peanuts, uh, he was a devout Christian. Um, the story goes, apparently this was 1965, I think, when the, when the show first came out. Um, he didn't want to make the special at all. Uh, the network, CBS, had asked them to make this Christmas special, and he didn't want to do it. Uh, so they finally twisted his arm and convinced him to, and he said that he would only do it if he could include that that he would only make a Christmas special if he could include the story of Jesus. And the network execs said, no, they didn't really want any part of that. Thankfully, Peanuts was uh, really, really popular. Um, the ratings were going to be really, really high, so they gave in. Um, Jesus wins once again. <laughs> but when you watch that clip, maybe you've noticed this before. I, I never noticed this till this week. Um, did you notice what he did? Like as soon as he said the words, fear not, Linus dropped his blanket. And if you know anything about Linus, you know what that means. It's the only time in the history of the Peanuts series that Linus is ever shown without his blanket. And from that moment until he finished the story, for that little bit of time, it's like he had no fear, just confidence. Like, like maybe the words that he was speaking were actually true. No fear, just confidence. Confidence often brings hope. Hope can bring peace. So the question that we've been asking all night in all of our services, what if it's true? What if the story that they read, the story that Linus read, that monologue, it comes straight out of Luke chapter two. What if it's true? What if it's not just a sweet sentimental story? What if the virgin birth is true? What if he really is a king who was born to nobody in the middle of nowhere? His family couldn't even find a suitable place to deliver him. What if it's all true? And just so there's no confusion, just to be clear, I do believe it's true. Uh, here at First Pres, we believe that it's true. Um, so tonight, quickly, I just wanna explain why and then consider a couple implications. If this Christmas story that we're celebrating tonight, if it's true, what does that mean for tomorrow and every day that follows. Like I said, Linus's monologue, it comes from Luke chapter two, but I want you to hear the way Luke's gospel begins. I want you to hear why he wrote this gospel in the first place. He says this, he says, many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They use the eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write an accurate account from you, for you, most honorable Theophilus. And really quick, that, it, that might have been a person, might have been a person's name, 
But the word Theophilus in Greek, it just means lover of God. So I've decided to write an account for you, lover of God, so that you can be certain of the truth of everything that you were taught. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So look, there's some things that you need to know when we reflect on this story. Some of Jesus' own disciples were skeptics and doubters. They, they questioned the story all along. Throughout their time with Jesus, they questioned the story until they didn't. They spent three years with him. They watched him as he healed the sick. They watched him multiply bread and fishes as he fed 5,000 people is what the Bible says, but they only counted men back then. So probably like 25,000 people. And then they watched a little later as he again multiplied bread and fishes and they didn't know what he was going to do. And this time he fed less people. <laughs> they doubted from story to story. They, they were there when he calmed the sea. They were watching as he walked right on top of that same sea. They were there when he turned water into wine and I imagine they were pretty thankful for that. They were there when he, was, when he raised the dead back to this life. Jesus' disciples, they saw it all, yet they doubted. Luke wrote his gospel for one reason. He wrote it to give us eyewitness reports, to offer us the testimony of these disciples so that we can have faith, so that we can have confidence in something that we can't see so that we can trust that this good news is true. His purpose in writing is to offer us something Jesus' own disciples needed. Like they needed some evidence so that they could have hope, so that they could find peace. If you're here tonight and you've never read one of the gospels, I would just really encourage you, if you have any time off during this Christmas break, pick one and read it. There's four in the New Testament. Luke's gospel is the third. Luke is interesting because he was a doctor. He's interested in the facts. Here he's really serving as a journalist. He's collected and he's giving us those facts as they were told by Jesus' own disciples who were doubters and then they were deniers until they came to faith and were believers. They then became people who changed the world forever. Luke collects their stories and gives them to us so that we can have faith. But Jesus' disciples, they weren't the only doubters and skeptics who over time have come to trust that the story of Jesus is true. But throughout history, there are famous philosophers and artists and authors and scientists that have traveled that road from denial to doubt to faith. One of the most prominent female philosophers in history, her name is Elizabeth Anscombe. Have y'all ever heard of her? That's a problem in and of itself, right? Nobody's heard of the most famous female philosopher. Go look her up. But she converted to Christianity based on evidence that was presented to her by a friend. Francis Collins, uh, he was the director of the Human Genome Project. Brilliant scientist. He's now the head of the NIH. He was an atheist who converted to Christianity because someone was kind enough to show him some evidence. There's an author named Josh McDowell. Some of you may be familiar with him. He was an agnostic. Uh, one day he decided he was going to write a paper to discredit Christianity, to seek out the facts and show how Christianity couldn't be true 
he ended up writing the book Evidence That Demands a Verdict, which is like the 13th bestseller in all of Christian writing, a book that ends up making the case for Christianity based on the evidence. An author and poet, T.S. Eliot, and then of course, most everybody is familiar with C.S. Lewis, both were atheists who found faith. In fact, it was Lewis who said that Christianity, if false, is of no importance. If true, it's of infinite importance. Then he goes on to say this. He says, the only thing it cannot be is moderately important. What if they were right? Like the gospel writers, the disciples, What if these brilliant, reasonable scientists and philosophers, what if they're right? These people aren't weak-minded fools who just need a religion to make themselves feel more comfortable and to understand reality. These are some of the most brilliant people in history. What if they're right? Like, what if the story that we're here to celebrate tonight, what if it's true? Not just some myth or legend that's of moderate importance, but a true factual story, making it the greatest story, a story of infinite importance. I believe it is of infinite importance. So I just wanna invite you to consider a couple implications. And I only have time to run through these quickly. Um, So if you'd like to think or talk about this some more, um, you can join us on Sundays, you can join us throughout the week. If you're not local here in town, you can join us online. This is what we do here at First Pres. We proclaim the truth of the gospel and then together we wrestle with it. And we wrestle with the implications of what it means for our daily lives right now as we look forward to and anticipate life with God forever. So let me run through these really quickly. First, I think one of the implications is that if this Christmas story is true, then God must think that we're worth it. And I want you to hear this and I want you to take it personally. If it's true, it means that the creator of the universe believes that you are worthy of sending his son, his only son whom he loves into this broken world, leaving his throne in eternity and coming to a place where his earthly thrones were gonna be a feeding trough and then a Roman cross. He did it because you're worth it. Not because of anything that you've done, but because whether you know it or not and whether you want to be or not, you are his beloved child. And his great desire is to call you his own and to bring you home. Listen, if you believe this, if you really believe this, y'all, it must change everything. If you believe this, I think it means that you can hold your head up high when you walk into a room, that you can start worrying a lot less about what others around you think of you. Who cares? Because the creator of heaven and earth loves you simply because he's chosen to love you so much that he took on flesh to prove it. But also remember this, if God thinks you are worthy, then so is the person sitting to your right and the person sitting to your left. And maybe that's not hard to believe tonight because you're probably sitting with family. I don't know, you're probably sitting with family, so maybe it's kind of hard to believe, you never know. But the truth is, no matter who you're sitting next to, like you are sitting with family because God calls you all his sons and daughters. 
every single human made in his image. The powerful and the weak. The influencers and the nobodies. Family, friends, and foreigners. Black, brown, and white. Rich and poor. Each one a child of God. Of infinite worth to God. Each one a sinner who has fallen short, yet still a child of God of infinite worth to God. Y'all, if this story is true, which I believe it is, then it demands a change in how we see one another, how we think about one another, and it demands a change in the ways that we treat one another, and that change must start with the church. Take another implication of the story. If the Christmas story is true, then I'm convinced it means that everything's going to be all right. Because this story is evidence that Ours is a God who keeps his promises. And his promises stretch all throughout scripture. God promised a man named Abraham that he would father a nation and that nation would grow so large that he could never count everyone. That they would be given a land, which is conveniently named the promised land. But they'd be given this land where they could live together and they could live with God. They were told that they would prosper there if they remained faithful to God and to his commandments. And God was faithful to his people people weren't yet he promised salvation anyway that people become the people of israel and the fact that israel even exists today think about their history the fact that they even exist after centuries of unjust persecution but also after their own failure in keeping god's commandments the fact that they are still a people today is proof that god keeps his promises it was centuries before the birth of jesus while Israel was deep in their own rebellion against God, that he promised to send a rescuer, a deliverer, a savior who Isaiah the prophet would say his name is going to be God with us, Emmanuel. That baby is evidence that God keeps his promises. The history of this is so important because, y'all, we're not here tonight to sing these songs and hear these stories because we're celebrating ideas or philosophies. We're here to remember real events in time and space. To look forward to a real event in time and space when Christ returns, when God makes all things new, when there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain because God is finally with us for good. A reordering of reality happened 2,000 years ago with the birth of Jesus and it'll be made complete when he returns. Y'all, if this is true, then Christmas, it doesn't just offer us good feelings for a season. It's evidence that God keeps his promises, that light is invading the darkness, that there's real hope for this life and the life to come. It's a whole new reality. And then finally, if this is true, then I think it begins to explain how sometimes the ways of this world are slowly turned upside down. From time to time, we get to see glimpses of this. Some of you might be familiar with the story. You may have heard it and you thought it wasn't true. It actually is. Um, Christmas Eve, 1914. It's about six months after the start of World War I. And you can read about this on history.com. You can read about it in the Smithsonian, Britannica Times. Pick your source. It's told many ways. One is from a British machine gunner. Uh, He tells the story this way. He says, it was about 10 p.m. and I listened across the field and I could hear the murmur of voices. It was the Germans singing carols. 
It was Christmas Eve. And in the darkness, some of the British soldiers, they began to sing back. He continues to say that they were confused. They heard shouting from the other side. So they stopped to listen and the shouting continued. And they found out that it's the voice of an enemy soldier. He was speaking English, but had a strong German accent. He was saying, come over here. (laughs) And the British sergeant replied, you come halfway (laughs) and I'll meet you halfway. And what happened next stunned the world and it made history. The enemy soldiers began to climb out of their trenches and they met halfway in the middle of the barbed wire filled no man's land that had separated them. Up until that moment, British and German troops only communicated with bullets. But now it was handshakes and laughter and joy and kindness. Those soldiers sang carols together. They played games. They traded and shared tobacco and wine. It was a Christmas party. Some moments you might have even called it a worship service. Even in the midst of the great war. And accounts of this vary. There's different details. Because it wasn't just confined to one part of the battlefield. Starting on Christmas Eve, small pockets of French, German, Belgian, and British troops, they began to hold these impromptu ceasefires. And it happened all along the Western Front. There are even some reports that it happened on the Eastern Front as well. And many accounts say that they believe as many as two-thirds of the fighting soldiers, they celebrated this truce together. Some even suggest that these unofficial truces, they remained in effect for days. Now, there's a true story. Soldiers in history both serve as witnesses to what can only be described as a Christmas miracle. A moment where reality is turned upside down. It was a brief truce, but it was a truce nonetheless. The brokenness of this world, it fought back against the peace, and of course, war raged on. But it just reminds us that even though we still face chaos and evil in all its forms, even now, this story is evidence of the ways that this world is slowly and sometimes miraculously being turned upside down. If we could have the eyes to see it. You know, the birth of Jesus changed history. It changed the world, and there's nobody that would deny that. What the world wrestles with, what we argue about, is whether it's true or not. Is the story true? Because if the stories about him are true, then y'all, reality has changed forever. And when we accept the good news that it is true, that means that we can begin to live today as an anticipation of the way that we're gonna live forever. We can practice that kind of life now. Christmas Eve is this night of of great celebration and joy, a night of great jazz music, but it's also a time to make a decision. Will we just celebrate a holiday for the next 18 minutes and then all day tomorrow? (laughs) Or will we live in the world each and every day as if the baby born to Mary was actually the savior of the world? If we make that decision in faith, if we come to trust that the story is true, if we allow the power of God's love to work on us, to 
to work in us. His promise is that his love and his light will shine through us for the world to see. So that others might see glimpses of who God is, just how good he is, how much he dearly loves them because he thinks they are worth it too. Y'all, that kind of love and light is exactly what a lonely and dark world desperately needs. I have become convinced that this story is true. For those of us who call ourselves follower of Jesus, if we have become convinced that the story is true, well, then it's time to live like it. To God be the glory. Amen. As we continue to worship, every time we gather, it's important that we remember that everything we have is a blessing from God, especially on a night like tonight. And we consider all the blessings that we've been given, our time, our talent, our treasure. And we need to reflect on the ways that we can give of that back to God, that we can contribute to the work that he's doing in the world. So we don't pass offering plates here at First Pres. Um, we have a few ways for you to give. You can give by text. You can give online. We have a box out in the narthex. When you go out these doors, it has a label on top of it, and the label says the box. <laughs> so if you brought a gift uh, tonight, you can put it in that box. But as the musicians play and sing, just take this time to reflect and consider what you can give back to God. We celebrate his tithes and our offerings.